Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriano De Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. Equip, empower, enable. And a school for tomorrow, that little side project that Adriano and I have been playing with over the last 18 months, we're very, very conscious that the secret source of a great education is one which equips, empowers and enables students to thrive in their world. Tremere Drummond Bay is a person who knows all about that. She's a conscious education expert. She's a TED speaker. She designs curriculum. She writes books. She's interested in the life of ideas. She's, she's everywhere. She's all over the world and she's here on Game Changers today. I'm excited, I can't wait, let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 8 sponsor? Edapt Education brings together all your student data into one platform. Improve the growth and well-being of all students in your school. Edapt is offering their learner profile and school data platform free for a term for the first time exclusive to you, our Game Changers listeners. Simply visit edapt.education forward slash game changes. That's edapt.education forward slash game changes. Let's go. Phil, it is so awesome to be with you. And how is the People's Democratic Republic of Fitzroy treating you this morning? Oh, well, Adriano, thank you for asking. Um, I think I mentioned last time the serious situation about mm. my pug Earl being cancelled. That situation hasn't changed. Right. Um, I've, I've approached the commissars in the uh, in the dog protectorate division of the People's Democratic Republic of Fitzroy, yes. and they the answer wasn't good. So I'm I'm afraid, mate, you're just going to have to wait for mm. further news on that front. Yeah, uh, it's it's becoming more and more depressing every time we have this conversation about your suburb, my friend. Yes, well, soon we'll be at the level of your suburb. How's Sunshine West today, mate? <laughs> well, I tell you what, it's um in the last couple of days it hasn't been very glorious whatsoever. There's been no sunshine whatsoever. I'm not really impressed that we're in spring and it's just gloomy, overcast weather. But and that's just the glorious Melbourne that we're living on a regular basis. Anyway, enough of this nonsense, Phil. Let's get to our amazing guest for series eight. I'm so excited to have you on on this particular show my friend i'm going to ask you the very very first question that we ask all of our game changer guests and that is can you tell us about your story to date and how you've gotten to where you are whoa what a loaded question <laughs> gotten to where where i am which uh compels me to ask where am i <laughs> you know um, it really feels like the more i do the more i learn the more i realize how much further I have to go and how much more I need and want to learn. Um, for me, I would say that it all started with curiosity. Uh, when I was a university student, uh, I was pre-med and I realized that so much of my setting was based on limitations. And I would go to advisors and mentors and ask them, how do I know that I've really looked at all of my possibilities. How do I know what's even possible for me? You know, and I felt like 
diet chosen based on the limitations of my surroundings. You know, you're good in science, you're good in math, think about these same things, you know? And so I thought it was time for me to leave my community, leave my country and go see the world. And it, it started with cur- being curious, wanting to know what other, the ways that other people thought, other cultures did things, you know, and just ask myself, what don't I know? You know, and constantly try to fill those gaps. And with that, I left, graduated university and went into the Peace Corps to uh, be a community health educator. And I was sent to Turkmenistan, which was a country I hadn't heard of prior to that. (laughs) And a lot of people um, in my family hadn't heard of that place. People would say, are you sure you don't mean Turkey? And I'd say, I'm absolutely certain uh, of where I'm going. (laughs) And I, I went there and was asked by some children in the village if I could teach them English. And uh, I didn't have any background in education or teaching. My background was all in science and communications. and, And I was there as a community health educator to explore global medicine. And so I said no. And the doctor who was my counterpart at that time said, you told me you came here to help and kids from the village came here asking for help and you said no and so I really had to sit with myself and ask what was my mission you know I said that I had you know I I wanted to work in medicine and you know I was interested in science but why What's the reason? And it was because I wanted to be of service. I wanted to help. And I had to let that guide me. And so in that period of time, that was the way I could be of service. That was the way that I could um, be the most impactful. And so I did that. And we didn't have any resources. I mean, you couldn't laminate. I would have to get scotch tape and spend hours <laughs> lining paper with scotch tape in order to create a form of lamination um, for materials. Uh, but after that, I realized how powerful education was for so many people. For these kids, learning how to speak English gave them a ticket to the world, to other jobs, um, to higher forms of education. And so after that, I returned to the States and I thought, you know, I'm really interested in education now, but I don't feel like learning in, you know, my home country in the U.S., the way that educators are often taught would be the way to go. Why learn in a way and in a place where we're so unfulfilled? So I thought, you know what, I'm going to let the world teach me how to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. And so I found, um, I pulled up Harvard's uh, Director of Leadership's uh, curriculum online. So if I would have attended Harvard to, you know, for that program, this is what they're learning. And I thought, what if I got into the world and use this as my own curriculum? And if this is what a student would learn at this time, then this is what I'll push myself to learn. And then I found this infographic that talked about all of the most successful places in the world for education. So of course there was Sweden and um, Finland, Singapore and Korea was there. 
And I heard Barack Obama, this was 2009 by that time, say, you know, it's time for the American education system to follow South Korea. And I thought, huh, how do you know? <laughs> I said, you know, I guess I'm going there first. And so I went to South Korea. Um, and from there on, I went from country to country to learn what was so great about and different about um, education in those spaces and to learn from the kids. And, you know, I think what was so beautiful about my journey was that I went without a certain type of training. So my my success rate was actually based on the feedback from the kids, the emotional mm -hmm. feedback, whether or not they were inspired. If they weren't, then this isn't working. Okay, this isn't it. Let's start again tomorrow. Um, and then picking up from different places and being able to share. Well, I really loved what I saw happening in Taiwan here. Didn't really like this about Seoul, Korea, but I do love what they did in Busan, Korea here. You know, I'm starting to put some of those bits and pieces together. And all of that was being curious and, and never losing that curiosity and allowing that to me further. And then also not focusing on failure or success, mm -hmm. but it's all being curious and learning and then having even more curiosity. And with that, there's no such thing as failure. It's all, you know, evolution. So um, first of all, thank you very much for sharing that remarkable journey, uh, a, a journey that is a great adventure into self and, and discovery. Yeah. And, uh, and there's so much richness in that. And we're going to unpack some of those as we, as we unfold this, this conversation. But I'm curious... <laughs> uh, about when was the moment or if there was one where you actually stepped into that space of curiosity and you realized that it was going to be an important part of how you're going to continue to live your life when I went to South Korea um, my career took off very quickly and I became quite popular in the town that I taught in. And I really thought that that was just because I was enthusiastic and fun. I didn't take it seriously. You know, I did, uh, I, I just thought, you know what? I love this, I'm having fun. Of course, the students are doing well. Um, but we became, our school became very popular, so popular that we had to move into a larger school. And a parent to the side and said, what is it that you're doing? I said, what do you mean? I'm, I'm just that word. I'm just teaching. I'm just showing up. And she said, no, you are doing some things differently. And I need you to really pay attention to your ways of doing things, your strategies, what you're looking for when you go into the classroom every day so that when you're gone, I can continue to help my kid to learn these things. And I thought, wow, that is so powerful. And after that, uh, I can't say I took that, uh, paid close attention to what she said or took heed immediately. I kind of thought, oh, that's powerful. And then there was a teacher who taught the same age that I did and she was being fired and I found mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And I saw her in tears and she said, I'm being fired because the parents are upset that your students are doing so well and my students are doing so poorly. And so I went to our directors and said, 
no, don't do that. I, I am doing things differently. Let me figure it out so that I can share what I'm doing because I'm not by the book, you know, and I don't think it's this person's fault because she is doing things by the book. So let me, let me figure things out because I did have this Peace Corps background where I'm used to making things out of stick and tape without anything, you know, so super crappy. Not so laminating machines. <laughs> right, no laminating machines, you know, so you think like that, you're, you wake up with ideas and, you know, I was building my own curricula and, you know, and doing things. Um, and so it was then that I also realized that, and it's not just me, but we all in things that we feel are our natural abilities, you know, our natural capabilities, things that we attach us to, oh, I just whipped this up, you know, or I just, you know, inspire this person because I'm a great speaker or, you know, things that we're, we feel that we're naturally good at. We have certain strategies. Um, and if we sit down and really think about them, there are ways that we can help other people to understand how they can also use those and implement those. And it was then that I realized, wow, I do have a way of, for me, it's deep connection. And when I went into a space, I automatically created a family with my students really quickly um, where they would have special songs created with their names. And, you know, I would say, hi, I'm Jamia. I'm not just your teacher. I'm your school mom. And that means when you're here, I'm going to take care of you just like home mom does. So that means if you're hungry, I'll make sure that you eat. If you need to go to the restroom, you can just go, you know, and so they just felt that level of comfort, you know, and that's a strategy. That's, you know, oh. a, a unique way of doing things that we may not think of. But if you add that to um, different forms of leadership, that connection and that form of safety, you know, and creating a sacred space, that's a completely different learning environment that a lot of people are used to. Yeah. And, and, and you know, there's a beautiful piece in all of that around creating an environment where the young people in our care feel that they are being cared for. Yes. Uh, and, and that it goes beyond just a, a prescribed curriculum, mm -hmm. you know, around learning of things, you know, right. knowledge, skills and dispositions, but more around uh, a heart approach to, mm -hmm. to how we make these young people feel a deep sense of belonging to the place, to yes. each other, and of course, to you. Yes. So that leads me to my next question around your work and founder of Kid U University. I might have got that wrong, but you can you can fix that up for me. And so I'm interested in you sharing with our listeners a little bit about that work that you do in that space and what, what that organization does, but also through the lens of the purpose of empowerment mm -hmm. and, and what role does student voice have uh, in the work that you do with the young people in your care? Amazing. So the student voice is number one for me. It's the way that I learn. And everything that I create, I run it by kids. Usually it's because of something that they've said. Oh, I wish we would do this. Or, you know, I wish we could talk about this. And I'll say, oh, do you? Okay, give me some time, you know, and I'll incorporate that. Or I'll ask them, you know, tell me more. Um, or I will make a list of some of their complaints or struggles. One thing that I noticed about not just education or leadership, or, or not only education, but also in leadership, is that 
oftentimes when working with younger people, complaints or frustrations from younger people tend to trigger unsolved or problems in the leaders or people who are guiding them. And so people tend or educators tend to be really frustrated when there's complaining. And I think what complaints are the most amazing form of feedback ever. <laughs> I love when they complain because then I know that there's something that needs to be tested or something that needs to be created. And that's how Kid U was formed. You know, in Kid University, I noticed that a lot of my students, uh, younger students, kindergartners, they felt like, and they often feel like they are big people you know, with big ideas. And they also feel like they deserve to have discussions with their parents, you know, when they see that there are problems, but they're treated like young people who can't understand anything, who have small ideas, you know, and are often spoken over or around. And I noticed that when I took some of the things that I loved, for example, philosophy or I'm learning growth mindset. I'm learning how to be a better person. And I spoke, I talked about that with my kindergartners. They would say, I want to know how to do that. I noticed sometimes my mom and dad, they, they argue over money. What do I do? Is money a bad thing? You know, or sometimes um, I, I feel like I have a hard time sleeping at night, but I don't want to bother my parents. What can I do? You know, and so these are these are big conversations and it's really brave to have those conversations. And I want them to feel empowered to continue to have those and to feel like they can help one another with those conversations. And so that's where Kid You came from, um, the idea of teaching both mindset through comics and games and music and also how to have deep friendships and um, self-love and uh, also uh, healthy eating. A lot of those topics come from things that I hear my students talk about or write about or some of the stories that they share about family members or parents, you know, and when there's a frustration, I say, okay, there, this is their way of bringing awareness to mm -hmm. something that is a big issue that they may not have the language to discuss or the right venue or outlet to have these conversations. As I'm, as I'm sitting listening to you talk about um, teachers not liking when kids complain. It's it's a little like pot calling the kettle black because, of course, us chalkies, <laughs> we can complain <laughs> like nobody else when things don't go our way. Right. Um, and and you know, part of the part of the challenge, I guess, as a teacher, is always trying to model that, those behaviours, those competencies mm -hmm. that we would expect for our kids. So you know, right. we 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 talk about being student centred, but then we see children as problems, not right. as human beings with a unique life, as my art teacher friend. Um, De Prado would, would, would say, when we think about that curiosity that you talked about there, um, you know, in, you, you're, in your TED residency talk in 2018, you, you, you talked about kids being mission-driven and igniting their imagination and finding their purpose. What's the one question we should be asking every child? Oh, absolutely. It is, what problem do you want to solve? What problem do you want to solve? And not, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, and 
I also say that for some children who are very creative, um, I ask them, how do you want to bring joy into the world? Mm-hmm. How do you want to mm-hmm. make people smile? Mm-hmm. You know, and they say, oh, by dancing, by singing, by creating art, you know, and with that question, there isn't a singular career path that potentially leads to failure. For example, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a doctor, right? Typical answer for a lot of um, types of uh, forms of knowledge, you know, and then in pursuit of that, if that doesn't work out, or if someone veers from their path, and the conversation is, well, I wanted to be a doctor, but I didn't do that. Instead, I became this, you know, as if you didn't succeed, right? But if it's, well, what problem do you want to solve? Well, I want to help people to be healthier. Oh, well, you can write books, you know, you can be a you can be someone who helps to test medicines, you know, you can be so many different things and you can do so many different things um, in different ways and never feel like you have been limited or that you failed. And that mission also, I believe, is in more alignment with where children are today and where we are today as people and that so many of us are shifting careers over time, you know, having a solid career for maybe a certain amount of years and then doing something else or being multi-passionate and doing several things at the same time. That's where we are now. And this idea of focusing on one job or one career path isn't really preparing children for the world that they are actually going to live and thrive in when they are that age. And so instead, inspiring them to be mission-driven gives them the opportunity to live these dynamic lives, which is the world that is now and the world that they will have um, when some of these jobs that we're preparing them for won't even exist (laughs) in the future. I think they don't exist now. So I, you know, you talk to anybody under the age of 30, there's no such thing as a job. And even for old dinosaurs um, <laughs> like me, there's, there's no job. There's, there's, there's your vocation, there's your calling. Um, Jamil, right. I'm going to ask you four rapid-fire questions. And okay. I want quick, short answers to these um, because part of the challenge that we have, you know, in, in, in thinking as educators quite often is how do we boil things down to the essence of it? So first question for you, what does empowerment look like? Empowerment looks like modeling, smiles, and excitement. Modeling, smiles, and excitement. Excellent. 15 points. Okay, second. (laughs) What is your life of purpose? To inspire children to live their best and most healthy lives. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Okay, that's 30 love. Okay. Jameer Drummond Bay serving. What are the values? that inspire you? What are, the, what are the, the values that give you the why and the how of your life of purpose? Making education a feel-good place for everyone in the world, making a child that I can touch in any form feel better after their connection with me, and inspiring anyone who has any type of connection or relation with children to feel more capable and connected and excited about their journey. So capability, 
Yes. Confidence. What's the score feel? Connection. What's the score feel? I think I think I think we're on forty love at the moment. Okay, Drummond and Bay good. serving against Cummins for the match now. Final <laughs> question: Who have been the key influences that helped you find those values and that life of purpose so that you could empower children? Children themselves, children around the world in every country, whether they're in schools, whether they're street kids, whether they're refugee children, every single. Child taught me so much about myself and so much about themselves and what they need and that's it to Prado Drum and Bay takes out the match conclusively six love <laughs> six love six love wow there we go. go over to you amigo can you share with our listeners something that you didn't expect to learn mm. about yourself on this journey that you have been on so far wow uh I didn't expect to be so willing to fight for change everywhere Mm -hmm. for, and the thing about being an educator is that you love and fight for kids you don't even know. And for me being a global educator, I'm dropping in a country and a culture that I don't even know. And I meet kids and I just want to do anything to help them succeed. And I didn't know that I had that deep love for people in this manner where it is, it surpasses any type of border or, you know, country. It's not any nationalism or any of that. It's really just heart to heart people and kids and really wanting to make sure that they feel happy and fulfilled and I think that piece of being so connected to people really makes me want to understand things and learn so much. So, you know, I'll learn a new language or American Sign Language because I realized that that was a gap that I sh- feel I should have known <laughs> before. Why don't I know how to do that? And so there are so many things that maybe I may not have the awareness beforehand. And then when I connect with someone and they tell me, I say, I'm harder, you know, cause I, I want to do this for you. And I never thought that this would be a part of this journey. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a great adventure into discovering you, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I would imagine that is the kind of quest that you are on with the young people in your care as well. Mm-hmm. When you think and reflect upon those young people in, in, in your schools, how can we best help young people to feel as though that they deeply belong to a school or a mm. community? That's a great question. Um, I will speak from what I'm told from them um, because that often, I feel like young people are often not heard directly from what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I'm told from them as you know in the home is that there tends to be emotional disconnections between them and their parents in that their parents feel like they know them already I know you I'm your parent you're my kid you know Mm -hmm. but they're constantly growing and changing and evolving and oftentimes they want the opportunity to reintroduce themselves and say well yeah but I don't like that anymore and can you be okay with that And in school, for educators to be willing to be vulnerable without the fear of losing authority and without the fear of 
a lack of hierarchical respect. Because what I've seen is that regardless of the age, and I'm speaking teens and even younger kids, when you're vulnerable and say, you know what, I'm struggling with this too. This pandemic is hard. I, I really wish I could see my friends. You know, this is what I'm doing instead. Then they feel seen and then they feel connected. And then the respect there is, is more authentic, mm-hmm. you know, and it's respect based from connection versus respect created out of fear. And that's a different form of respect. Jamia, I'm sitting here and listening to you and there's part of me that's getting very, very excited. And there's another part of me that gets very sad when I listen to you because mm. I understand the gap um, in the experience of so many young people around the world at this time, um, yeah. you know, disconnected um, from classrooms and disconnected from their, from their friends and their colleagues, mm-hmm. families really struggling. Mm-hmm. But there's another part of me that remembers too the experience of so many kids age 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 in school. So what you would Mm -hmm. call high school over in your Mm -hmm. part of the world and what we would sort of call senior high perhaps in Mm. our part of the world. When you walk into a classroom full of 15-year-olds, almost any classroom anywhere in the world, the eyes are glazed over. (laughs) There ain't no smiles. There's, there's, There's no excitement there's no laughter there's no it's 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 a grim grim existence they kind of know what they have to do they know what the game of school is about at that point and it's about grit it's about you know gritting their teeth and saying oh, i can make it through i can make it through you know, it's, it's like, <laughs> like the, the, the little red engine isn't if i think i can i think i can i think mm-hmm. i can the sort of thinking that you are encapsulating in this conversation is thinking that it's easy to do with a child. It's really hard to do with adolescents and particularly late adolescents. How can we bring more excitement, more wonder, more curiosity, more smiles, more laughter, more love into classrooms of children preparing for those dreadful sets of examinations that somehow our society thinks is appropriate to inflict on 17, 18, 19 year old children to determine whether or not they're going to get a place at the table later in their lives. Right, absolutely. I love working with teens. Um, There has been a shift over the past few years since 2016 where um, working with teens has become my favorite. And I think it's for that very reason. And when I walk into a room of teens, the first thing that I do tell them the truth and that's that I know that a lot of this that is expected of you isn't in alignment with how you are treated for example you are expected to prepare to take exams and then soon leave this and enter a completely new one or the workforce but at the same time you have to raise your hand for permission to go to the restroom you know, there is no alignment there. And so I like to first encourage educators and leaders to, again, be vulnerable and offer that connection and create that space. And second, to encourage young people, teens to create their own goals outside of school. And the conversation that I have with them is that When you are in school, 
people as a lot of teams, uh, and this is how a lot of teams often feel is that they don't understand why they're there. Mm -hmm. They don't understand the purpose of most of the curriculums that they have to follow. You know, and so I tell them, create your own, create your own purpose. For me, there are times when I sign up for business seminars or um, networking events, uh, and I am an introvert. And so oftentimes I sign up and once I'm there, I'm completely uncomfortable and I don't want to be there. But I say, okay, regardless of how great or how poorly this program is run, what is something within me? that if I can create or make it better, I can walk out of this saying, okay, I see some growth or I feel good about this, you know? And so that may be connecting with certain people or um, talking about myself more. I tend to not talk about myself. I tend to go into spaces and encourage other people and then leave the space and realize no one knows who I am, you know? And so what we do is we create, and essentially these are soft skills. How can you choose one thing if you were to make school for you that would, regardless of who your teacher is and how awful that exam was, have you walk out of here saying, you know what, I did that. You know, do you wanna be someone who, you know, maybe last year you had some friendships that were surface level, but this year you wanna have deeper friendships. You know, a lot of people leave and they graduate high school with two or three friends and, you know, and then those friendships aren't as solid. So maybe your goal here is to be someone who leaves here with solid friendships. Maybe you notice when you're walking through the halls, the whole way you're speaking negatively to yourself. So your self-talk just isn't motivating you. So maybe your personal goal could be, you know what, I'm going to be someone who, when I walk through here, I'm going to learn how to, how to flip that and not only shift my self-talk, but also motivate other people. I want to leave here as someone who's a motivator, you know? And so shifting and creating those goals that are personal tends to give them their own badge, you know? And I notice that that tends to create excitement. It's their own purpose that no one can pass or fail, you know, and that's one of the things that I like to encourage educators or people who want to have a different experience with young people um, to bring into their, their lessons is to give them something that you can't necessarily damage, you know, by your, with your grades or your pen and something that also can help them no matter where they go after this, you know, because it's their own goal. And it also teaches the the value of creating what you want for yourself no matter what your experience is and to me that's true grit and resilience it's not these hurdles that we create for people just so that we think they can be quote unquote tough enough which I think is crap to be honest you know but true grit is being able to look at a situation and say who do I want to be here you know amongst these friends, among this environment. And, you know, if this isn't serving me, then how can I flip it? So, yes, it, it's good to put it back on the kid. It's good to sit there and say, so what are you making of the situation? And it's to good get, to talk well, to not them like that. Yeah, not yeah, what are yeah. you, you know, I, and yeah. it would be, what are we? And I would say, okay. I love that you yeah. brought that up too, because I always offer my own story and what I'm doing you know, and not, you need to make this work for you. 
because again, that's then giving them something that feels like it's a pass or fail and it shouldn't feel that way. Okay. Okay. So, so I love that. So we've got the we talk. So we're bringing team into this. We're talking about true grit, which is fundamentally about finding their purpose um, uh, and, and connecting it to a sense of who they are rather than the doing of things that are external to them. Although, you know, there's always a wrestling between the bit that's inside us and the bit that's outside us. So, mm. and, 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 that, and that wrestling is never complete. It's a terribly adult thing, um, really, isn't it? There's that, is that, is that, is that realisation that you have that, that it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be exactly what, it, what you might want it to be, but, you know, it will be what it will be at the end of the day. You said earlier in this conversation something that I've been tweeting out and posting madly in the last few minutes why learn in a place and in a way that leaves us so unfulfilled how Mm. can we help students to move on to the next stage of their of that journey of 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 adventure of of exploration and encounter and discovery that is uh, a life of purpose Um, how, how can we help them to feel more fulfilled about mm-hmm. what they do and then and to, and to put this into practice. Yeah. Well, one of the things is that when I'm speaking in to uh, younger people, I don't use the word purpose because I think that can be very anxiety inducing. And now it's a buzzword that if someone doesn't feel like they have a purpose, then it feels like something else that they lack, you know? So instead I say, what are you curious about? Be, be curious about it, learn about it. If you're curious about something else, you do get to move on to that thing. You know, that's what this time in your life is about. Being curious, gaining those different skills, trying things out, you know? I think try is one of the best words ever and it's often overlooked, you know? People, I've heard um, educators often say, don't tell me what you've tried, tell me what you've done. And I think that's horrible. Tell me all the things you've tried. Um, So with that being said, I would say that bringing in real world applications into the classroom is the best way to help to encourage, you know, younger people. What are you curious about? Is it YouTube? You know, and how? How is it YouTube? You know, what skills do you want to learn? What is... What is something exciting to you? Not if it isn't these jobs that we're talking about, what are, is it being a travel influencer? Why? What about it? You know? Okay, well, let's talk about that. Um, There are so many different ways to apply some of the same skills that we've been trying to teach in the classroom um, in a way that actually serves and excites them. You know, instead of writing uh, papers, one of the things I encourage teachers to do is say to the students who are interested in writing, you can help them self-publish their own books. It's super simple now. They can be Amazon bestsellers, you know, mm-hmm. help them do that. Give them a goal. They they don't have to wait. Like, and this is how I felt when I was coming up in school. They don't have to wait until they gain certain degrees to feel of value or importance in the world anymore. And unfortunately, in so much of education, we make them feel like they do. 
and we give them a series of tests and exams and maybe essays that they never look at again. And then after that, maybe you can be a writer where now they can publish on Medium. They can actually become real published off. You know, they can do these valuable things right now. Um, I have a lot of my teams publish on Thrive Global. Um, the Ariana Huffington uh, platform, and they're super excited. They say, you know what, I'm a professional writer. And I say, exactly, um, you know, and so for educators to do that, what I am can you give them right now versus the I am preparing to be? And that is one way you can really motivate them and give them something to feel excited about. Yeah, I love that. I, lo- I, lo- I love, that. I love that, that, that journey from being to becoming. And, mm-hmm. and helping and helping students to signpost along the way and thinking about the language and the way in which you can establish that um, connection. I want to flip this back on you again, if I can, uh, in a different way this time. Um, this morning, uh, when I woke up, Lonnie Belkvist, um, who's a former Game Changers uh, Series 7 guest, I think, she wrote this, I stumbled on Seymour B. Saracen about six years ago. When I first read The Culture of the School and the Problem of the Change, it felt like nearly every paragraph could have been written today. Here's a quote from Saracen's book, which, of course, was written in 1971 when I was two years old. One of the most frequent complaints of teachers is that the school culture forces them to adhere to a curriculum from which they do not feel free to deviate. As a result, they do not feel they can use their own heads. How can we help teachers to be empowered in the same way that you're talking about students becoming empowered? So I have a very uh, risque answer to this. Um, I believe that financial empowerment is one of the best ways to encourage teachers to be able to take some of those risks. It was something that really helped me when I started to when I realized that I was going to be a renegade in the classroom and start building my own curriculum. And, you know, I had to also be okay with the possibility of being fired, you know, because I knew that I started paying attention to what my students needed. And um, what gave me the confidence to do that was when I started to uh, build some kind of education business in the background or when I felt financially okay. Um, And so I encourage educators to, if you can, build some kind of financial support for yourself, um, whether it's teachers pay teachers or um, being a copywriter for an author or, you know, selling some of your lesson plans online. I just really feel like when you don't have that fear, that financial fear, and I think that's what a lot of schools have over educators is that fear that you'll lose everything, you know, and, and so when you don't have that fear, then you have the ability to kind of feel more confident risking things and pushing against the envelope. And that's what I did. I was really willing to say, you know what, this is a curriculum that I've decided this isn't working. And Beyond that, um, if that isn't possible, which I know that can be difficult for a lot of people, the second thing that I did and something that I continue to do is that I really bond and connect with the parents. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the parents and the educators have the ability when they come together to create change that they don't know that they can create. 
you know, and for me, when I first started teaching and I knew that um, this, this school is really has a lot of uh, curriculum and guidelines that just aren't serving the kids, I'm going to do something differently. It was, I had meetings with parents of most of the kids in the school and we all came together and decided that we were going to <laughs> make the school, you know, understand where we were coming from. We were going to either follow our own curriculum or, you know, we were going to leave. So we basically came together to fight. Um, and we did that. And it may not be you know, as big as a fight as we did. And, you know, for us, it definitely worked in our favor. And um, whenever I go to different countries, it's always that case where I bond with the parents and we sit down and the parents and educators come together. Um, but when there's that separation between parents and educators um, happening, then who's going to necessarily create the team that's going to target the curriculums that are often created by schools um, who don't have educated who are, in, who are in the classroom now, it's usually created by administrators, you know, or student leaders creating curriculum, you know, but when the parents and the edu educators come together, you actually have a solid voice there that can combat some of these systems. And so that's what I would say, try to, try to come together, try to collaborate, try to do it less by yourself, because even when I've had the most, what felt like wild ideas and you know I wanted to combine like writing and sign language or teach four-year-olds how to write essays and I thought no one else is going to want this I was wrong there are so many people who want to try new things and who want to change the curriculum and so many parents who are on board I just had to be willing to initiate those conversations there's so much about uh, around the notion of a collective movement there you know finding the right tribe to to uh, cultivate uh, yeah. around the change that's needed to be seen. I'm going to ask you a final question before I hand it over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Phil Cummins, to, to wrap this wonderful energetic conversation up. I'm learning just so much. Uh, and I, I am, I'm blown away by your infectious uh, energy for curiosity, you know, yeah. for agency, and for this thing that I'm calling respected respirosity, because that's what I'm yeah. hearing repeatedly in, in what you're sharing with us. Much like you, I've kind of lived a life that's remained forever curious. Mm. And um, I've been very fortunate so far along my journey to have travelled to five of our seven continents uh, that we have across our globe. I'm yet to do South America properly. And of course, I'm yet to do Antarctica. So I think those two are going to be on the next agenda when eventually we're allowed out of lockdown here in, 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 in our city and we're allowed to travel again. Every time I go to a new place, it enables me to kind of almost let go of the string, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I've got, I wrote this blog once about when I was a little kid, I held a balloon in my hand and I let it go. And I was so curious about what adventure that balloon was going to go on. And I've always mm -hmm. thought about that, you know, letting go of the string. How do we let go of the string? How do we move from, from the, the crippling, paralyzing space of fear into mm -hmm. the space of love, you know, that unconditional mm -hmm. space of permission for ourselves? And I can remember when I was at a uh, I was doing some volunteer work in Guatemala City, at a, at a at a children's school, and on the playground engraved in Spanish was it was a, a phrase that translates as that everything we do in life has an echo in eternity. Mm. 
what do you want your legacy to be? Wow, what a question. I want my legacy to be child first as a perspective, as a mindset, not just as a curriculum, but just as an entire lens. And when I say children, I mean teens too, you know, all students really seeing the student or a child in front of you and putting their needs and wants and health and emotions first. And right now, I don't feel like we are doing that. We're not looking at the student or the child who's actually in front of us. We're looking at children and students who existed many years ago and using what we created for them to teach the students and the children who are right in front of us. And the shoes don't fit, the shirts don't fit, the pants don't fit, you know? And so I would love my legacy to be that change in lens for all people to really, to take off whatever glasses that they're wearing, even if they are glasses that they've learned for themselves, you know, to be able to cope with their own things, transitioning into adulthood and say, you know what, I'm going to really look and pay attention to the person in front of me and hear them and see them, you know, and, and help support them. Yeah. You know, I just listened to this whole conversation. I'm thinking that it's always the renegades who Mm. put children first in our Mm. systems, isn't it? And it always has been. And if we don't have renegades like you, Chamea, then we're only going to have a system. Mm. A system is supposed to bring people together in pursuit of a mission, in pursuit of a purpose, in, in pursuit of a common cause. But it's terribly, terribly human for us to take systems and use them to drive people apart and, and to create division and to, to set divisions against each other and to create a narrative of polemic rather than a narrative, mm-hmm. as you said earlier, of connection, of confidence and capability. You're an absolute inspiration. And we're so, Thank so glad you. that you said yes to coming on the Game Changers Series 8 podcast. Bless you and everything that you're doing. And we'd love to stay in touch and, and support the work, the important work that you're doing through Kid University and, and Evolve Teacher and your books and everything else. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. What a great conversation. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.